This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Hello everyone, it is Bryce and Ren here, co-founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO. That's right, Equity Mates initial party offering is here. FinFest is coming. We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival. With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience. So save the date, 15th of October, 2022. Head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equitymates FinFest is powered by Stake. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We are living through very strange times in markets. Yes. Inflation's high, unemployment's low, property's up, stocks are down. Interest rates are up. The world is upside down. It's an incredibly volatile time. Uh, There's so much happening and it feels like it's been a little while since we've just spoken about what's going on. Yeah, well, uh, that's how we're going to start this episode with a bit of a, an update on current market conditions, what we're seeing uh, at the time of recording, the Fed has just announced uh, their position on interest rates. And in the second half of this episode, Ren, we're going to hear an investment thesis from you that revolves around companies at the big end of town. Yeah. One that are not a, not a fully formed thesis. Sure. Yeah. What a, an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I've been workshopping. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but let's start at the, the very top bit of housekeeping. If you haven't seen already, we have launched FinFest. It is Australia's biggest finance festival. It's uh, save the date 15th of October 2022 in Sydney. And we are inviting you to join us to come and trade ideas uh, we're flipping finance festivals. Well, this is the first finance festivals. We're flipping finance events on its head and creating something that we hope will be engaging, empowering, and, and really exciting. So head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest so you don't miss out the opportunity for early bird tickets and all the information that'll come along with it. Yeah, we can't wait. But Bryce, let's talk about what's happening in markets today because FinFest is six months away and Right now, a week in markets feels like a long time. So who knows what the market's going to be like by, by the time FinFest rolls around. Yes. We hit a bear market. We have hit a bear market. Yeah. So uh, the NASDAQ, everyone's favorite tech market, uh, was officially down 20%. Uh, that was earlier this week. Uh, and what it's subsequently bounced a bit. But yeah, we hit a bear, which um, the difference between a correction and a bear, correction 10% uh, and a bear market is down 20%. It has uh, jumped up a little, but we haven't seen that for quite a while. No, and we spoke about how a lot of the smaller growth stocks had fallen off, you know, the Spotify's, the Shopify's, the second tier companies, the bigger tech names have really been hit. Yeah, Facebook, obviously, we've spoken about a bit, but Netflix down fifty percent. Wow! Yeah, it's interesting times. No, no surprise that the Nasdaq has 
hit bear market. We haven't seen a bear market on the S&P 500 uh, and the ASX is actually holding up pretty well given that the majority of the top end of town on the ASX is your mining and your your banks. Um, They're not being impacted anywhere near as much as some of those growth and tech names that we're seeing over in the States. So if you have diversified your portfolio pretty well, if you're not long just tech, then you might not be feeling it as bad as some of those growth guys. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the ASX hit a correction, 10%, 10%, yeah. uh, and so did the UK. Um, but yeah, not not as bad as those tech names. Um, who knows where it will go from here, but... It's volatile times. It is. It is. If you didn't have a, the chance to listen to our interview with Tim Samway last week, he's a growth fund manager and it was a, a great insight into how he's currently thinking about the market and the opportunities that there might be uh, in a in a correction like this. So some other news, Ren, at the time of recording, we've just woken up and the Fed have come out, the Federal Reserve over in the States and have raised interest rates for the first time since 2018 by 25 basis points or a quarter of 1%. Uh, This wasn't new news. It was anticipated. The market was expecting it. But I think what was interesting was that they have forecast or let the market know that there's a lot more coming. Yeah, a lot more. Six more rate rises this year. Yeah. And there's not that many more months in the year. (laughs) No. I think six more this year and then they've penciled another three in 2023. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. I mean, one thing that they often say is that the risk is increasing rates too quickly. Okay, and what is the the risk there? Well, that the in raising the rates too much too quickly it causes like an overreaction in the markets yeah and six feels like a lot it does feel like a lot you know you can really push an economy into a recession if you if you raise too quickly but the reason that they have raised surging inflation over in the US prices have increased by 7.9% in a year through to february so it's the highest inflation we've seen in what Four decades. And 40 years, yeah. Yeah, so pretty significant inflation, incredibly tight labour market as well, unemployment low. So there's a, a really interesting mix of macroeconomic conditions that are going on. Yeah, it's obviously the biggest story at the moment, inflation. Um, you know, we're, we're all seeing oil prices uh, at the petrol tank. Yeah. Um, that has a flow-on effect to everything. So, you know, even with these increased interest rates, just commodity prices, oil prices remaining high will will mean that there's inflation repressures in the economy. But the Fed is doing its best to head that off. Um, now, you said that raising rates too quickly threatens to put a country into a recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, CNBC had a Fed survey, which gauges the opinion of fund managers, strategists and economists. Uh, they put the probability of a recession in the US at a, th- a third, 33% in the next 12 months. That's up 10 percentage points from last month's survey. Okay. So uh, a third, I guess, of fund managers and people on Wall Street think that we're due a recession in the US. Interestingly, that same survey puts the chances of a recession at, at, in Europe at 50%. Yeah, wow. So stock markets are down. the Nasdaq's down 20%, but we might not be at the end of it. There was some data that came out on Twitter that, so this year has been the fourth worst start to a year since, like, since they started recording data in the stock market, um, over in the States. 
But apparently when the market starts terribly, like it ends the year quite strongly. Epic. But yeah, I don't know. It, it just, it, it, it feels like it's volatile times. Yeah. Well, it is volatile. It is volatile yeah, times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, an interesting one to think about the impact of um, obviously what's going on with the terrible situation over in Ukraine and should... Uh, the you know the the price of energy going into winter over there. I think they're just coming out of winter actually. But yeah, that that in, that cost of in, um, energy over there is certainly one to watch. Well, that leads nicely on to the next uh, thing that's going on in markets that's worth touching on, which is the price of oil because it's actually pulled back massively. I know. Yeah, and it, that's really hurt my ASX share market game strategy. Me too. Yeah. Uh, we went into this knowing that we would have to really keep across uh, a strategy that is uh, central around the oil price. Well, I But you and I have both not my, looked at it. On my uh, <laughs> iPhone home screen, I had uh, the ASX 200 index, the S&P 500 index and Bitcoin to USD as like little numbers that I could check. Okay. And to, no sta- oil. to start the ASX share market game, I took the S&P and the ASX out and put uh, West Texas Intermediate and Brent Crude, <laughs> just so I could see the price of oil. Uh, and it was great the first couple of days. It went from about $100 a barrel to about $135 a barrel. And so I was like, I'm doing well in the share market came. I was up. And then it had the like the fastest pullback in a day. I think Brent fell like 13% and I didn't sell in time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it fell overnight and then the ASX didn't open. And yeah, yeah. Well, this is the, this is the issue. You can't. You've, we've got to be ahead of the game. It's too late to we've we've missed it. Now. Well, I, I sold. Oh, you're out. Yeah, yeah. You've gone. Well, full and cash. it's gone. It's gone further down. So, oil is now trading in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and they're saying it was the fastest pullback from a fifty-two week high in oil's history, and it's just it's astounding to me how quickly the market moves and how quickly narratives change. Mm. Um, basically, all that was required for that price run up in oil to stop was for OPEC yeah. to come out and say, we're, we're going to produce more. We're good. Yeah, we're good. We, <laughs> yeah. sorted, our, we sorted it. <laughs> yeah. um, and then it pulls back so quickly. It is just amazing how quickly everything moves in, in markets these days. And I just, like, you can't be a day trader unless unless you are just watching oh, markets 24-7. You've got to be on it. Unless, and, and just super laser focused on like one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck trying to keep across all commodity prices yeah, and day yeah. trading that stuff. You'll have a hairline like me if you try and do it. <laughs> Jeez, you don't want that. Yeah, right. Well, I definitely need to get back in and log into my ASX share market game because I feel I'm going to be getting absolutely pumped. So uh, if you are joining the ASX game, thank you for joining the league. We have a uh, couple of hundred people in there now which is great if you do want to join we'll put some information in the show notes it's free to play you get fifty thousand dollars so come join us I think fifty thousand dollars fake money yeah fifty thousand <laughs> fake money <laughs> fifty thousand real would be nice so let's keep moving ren there's plenty to cover uh there's an interesting trend happening now with uh tech companies that have ipo'd and where they're sitting versus their valuation well yeah i mean this isn't new news that uh recently ipo tech companies are down no. <laughs> we all know that the, the growth story and especially the tech growth story is that a lot of these companies are being cut in half or further. Um, but this is an interesting one because there's been an interesting dynamic the last couple of years where, uh, well, not the last last couple of months, where the these tech companies, unprofitable, fast-growing tech companies on the stock market have been cut in half or more. But private markets, like the venture capital market, 
there hasn't been as big a haircut. Like there's still crazy rounds being raised and there's still money sloshing around, which is interesting because these companies eventually have to exit or IPO. And if then the valuation they're going to get when they IPO is lower, you'd think that that would have a flow-on effect to VC rounds. Yeah. But what we're seeing is we're almost at a record of tech companies that went public trading below not their IPO price, but below their last private round price. So the last price they raised venture capital at, um, you know, before becoming a public company, which means that those venture capitalists would be down not just from where the company IPO'd, but from when they put money into the company in a venture capital round. So 32% of tech IPOs are trading below their last private valuation at the moment. Yeah. And we can think of those companies, like we know who they are. It's the... You know, the Robin Hoods of the world, the the recently IPO'd companies. Yeah. 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 Well, recently SPAC'd companies, a lot of them. Yeah. Well, there's also some data coming out over the, over the last couple of months with market volatility. A lot of companies now pulled out of the IPO process and it's, a, it's not a time I think you'd want to be hitting the markets. First two weeks since, in the US, first two weeks period without an IPO since like 2009. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. You'd expect looking at that data that we see private markets start to worry about valuations a little bit more. Mm. But who knows what, with these markets? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, if you follow Scotty Galloway Galloway, <laughs> <laughs> as closely as uh, I enjoy following him, he feels that we're about to go into a big period of down rounds in the private markets as okay. well. Yeah, yeah. so that's not good for those Isn't there some, early stage startups looking to raise some capital. <laughs> there's a meme and... Um, you don't. You've told me that you don't get memes, so um, <laughs> and you've you told me that there's one. a podcast in explaining uh, memes yeah. to me. <laughs> there definitely is. Um, but you know how there's everyone says you should just short whatever Jim Cramer. You should go whatever Jim Cramer opposite again. Whatever yeah, yeah. Jim Cramer recommends. I'm pretty sure there's the same thing about Scott Galloway. Oh, is he there? sucks at this? <laughs> he's worse than my stock of the year picks. Well, I mean, he's been um, he's been hounding Tesla in every year. Yeah, uh, yeah, every yeah. of his bold predictions Tesla's every year. Way stock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this is the first year that he acknowledged he was wrong. But like, mate, we're five years. We're five years. You're five years too late. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> at least he acknowledges he's wrong. I think Jim Cramer just keeps yelling just into keeps the going, void. Yeah. Um, Two other things. I don't know if there's a lot we've got to say on them, but um, did you see what happened with the nickel markets over in London? Massive short squeeze. Massive short yeah, squeeze, yeah. yeah. So for those that missed it, uh, nickel was is traded at the London Metals Exchange and it was trading for about $25,000 a tonne and then it just skyrocketed and in within like 24 hours went up 250% more to uh, close to $100,000 a tonne. And this, the biggest nickel producer in the world, this big Chinese company, was on the hook for like $8 billion. Jeez. And they had to shut the exchange down. And then there was all this uh, shady stuff about uh, the London Metals Exchange actually cancelling trades and wow. uh, all these traders are up in arms. And then there's like, well, JP Morgan, apparently one of their clients had a big position. And there's all this stuff going on, which we don't know enough about. But the interesting thing for me is... Everyone a couple of or a year ago was talking about GameStop and talking about how unprecedented this short squeeze was for GameStop. But this is a good reminder that short squeezes happen. They have happened before. They will happen again. It's just GameStop was amazing because people like you and I, like retail investors uh, with a laptop, did it. But 
you know, this is an example of just professional investors doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fascinating. So speaking of short squeezes and meme stocks, Ren, a fascinating story coming earlier this week was AMC and (laughs) their pivot into buying a gold mine. Oh, it was unbelievable. (laughs) Not a full gold mine, uh, 22% of Highcroft Mining listed on the NASDAQ HYMC, uh, a gold and maybe silver, but a gold miner in northern Nevada. AMC is America's largest theatre chain. It's got about like a thousand cinemas. Yeah. Um, it's a surprising move. Surprising. <laughs> but also, How did the board like what? But also, I'm pretty sure the AMC CEO, when justifying it, was like, uh, "We've had an amazing year at the box office with Batman and some other big titles, so we've invested so in we're a gold mine." Splurge on a gold yeah. mine. <laughs> What on earth? This is crazy times, crazy times. But It's also worth pointing out, so AMC has obviously had cinemas shut down the last couple of years because yep. of COVID and so they weren't profitable in 2020 or 2021 and that's extremely forgivable given the industry they're in. They weren't profitable in 2019 either or 2017 for that matter. They were in 2018. But it's not like this company is just printing no, cash no, and they're no, like, no. Oh, what else can we invest in? Like even pre-pandemic, cinemas were in a world of hurt. Well, they were on the way out. Yeah. Well, in some instances, but something dodgy is going on, I'm calling it. My well, sniff test doesn't pub test. My So my theory is just this company wants to lean into being a meme stock. Oh, you reckon? And so there was a short squeeze and then – you know, there was all this AMC to the moon stuff on like Instagram yeah, yeah. and Reddit and TikTok. But since then, the price has come off a bit. And in that time, here's some of the things that AMC have done. Uh, they've speculated that they're going to create their own cryptocurrency. They've announced that they're accepting Dogecoin and Shiba Inu payments. They created NFTs for their shareholders and I own AMC NFT. And now they've bought a gold mine. It feels like it feels like they're trying to cling on to that meme stock reputation. Yeah, but like, is it resulting in in any sort of shareholder return? What's the share price doing? So the share price is obviously down from its peak when the short squeeze happened, down three quarters. Yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, it's about double where it was when the pandemic started. Yeah, right. So in that sense, <laughs> okay. you'd probably say they're doing all right. Yeah. I just, it's just not long term though. It's, no, it feels it's, like it's a it joke. just, it feels like a, no sh- a sugar hit of capital management. Like yeah. get in the headlines for a few days, get on Wall Street bets, a few TikToks made about you. Yeah. See you later. But like, figure out the cinema business. Figure out the cinema business. Stop trying to be a meme stock. Uh, it's as a shareholder, you just have to be questioning what is the actual strategy of this business here. One to watch, not one for me, that's for sure. Not one for me. No. Ren, before we move on, though, and take a, take a break to hear uh, from our sponsors, the other update, of course, that we can't go past is the AFL footy season has started. So that's really exciting news for us here at Equity Mates. Sure. <laughs> you don't seem excited well, about it. Well, I'm just uh, interested to know where this is going. It's not going anywhere. We were talking about market updates and uh, we kicked off the AFL season last night with the, with the Demons getting a win. We did. My first of many incorrect tips for the season. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. But anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. And then after this, we're going to dig into uh, your thesis around companies that uh, are sitting 
potentially pretty at the top of their industry. So, Ren, we've been talking in the office over the last few days about this uh, sort of investment thesis that you're form- formulating and having a think about, and it revolves around some of the large companies that dominate their fields or their industries and, and how they uh, go about mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, um, and this all really started with a lot of the focus on tech monopolies, and I'm going to use monopolies shorthand here. Um but it doesn't actually have to be the only one. Monopolies. Yeah. I mean, you could also call like oligopolies, but just like the big companies at the top of industries. And there's been a lot of focus on the tech versions of that um, and some of the things they've done. You know, Facebook buying WhatsApp and Instagram is probably the most discussed, but also Google buying DoubleClick and Android. It's just so many companies. Apple and Amazon uh, have come in for a lot of criticism around their uses of data um, and uh, like potential competitor data through the app store, through Amazon third party to then replicate products and services. Um, There's been a lot of focus on tech and there's been a lot of action in response to this focus on tech. The FTC in the US has sued twice to break up Facebook. Federal Trade Commission. Federal Trade Commission. All 50 US states have banded together to investigate Google and have sued uh, the search giant around their use of their market power and digital advertising. Uh, and then there's there's like five different antitrust, break up big tech, control big tech bills moving through different parts of uh, the US Congress um, at the moment as well. So, so much focus on tech monopolies. But there are plenty of other monopolies or plenty of other big companies that exist that just don't get any attention. And so, I've been thinking a lot about them and in particular just how consolidated a lot of global industries or American industries have got um, over the last few decades. And we see so many sectors that are just dominated by like two or three big companies. And um, we'll go through some of them, but like we can think of a lot of a lot of the names, you know, like the... Woolworths, Coles. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but you know, like... Like healthcare and stuff is dominated by like Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, like a few big names. Like food and consumer staples is dominated by like Nestle, PepsiCo. Some of, again, some of those big names. And so I came across this chart that I think tells a really interesting story and ties in with like these big companies. And it's really hard to describe a chart on a podcast, but it I'm going to do my best. And I think we will release this chart the day this episode gets released on Instagram. Sure. So if people don't like the description, um, they can (laughs) pull out their phone and and check Instagram and read along. But basically it looks at how companies have been exiting going back to like sort of 1985. And what we see is that the 1980s and 1990s companies would IPO. And over the last 20 years, there has been an explosion in the number of companies exiting. So startups, real like startup founders realizing and exit, like getting paid either through an IPO or being bought. There has been an absolute explosion. The raw numbers sort of go from 200 on average in like the 90s to- Companies per year. Companies per year exiting to in the thousands in the 2010s. Mm. But- the number of IPOs in that time have declined meaningfully. And what we've seen is just an explosion in the number of companies 
being acquired. Mm, mm. And that's not particularly surprising. And, and we know that a lot of that is that uh, a lot of that is tech companies, but it's also all these other companies. And so the thesis that I've been sort of playing around with in my mind is there merit in finding the biggest companies with the strongest balance sheets at the top of their industries that rather than, you know, where 20 years ago they may have been slow growing at risk of disruption, now they are just acquiring any potential competitor, any potential disruptor and any like new innovation that they want to tack into their their business. I don't know. Is there, do you have an answer? Well, this is, I mean. So first, um, I, I like it. First thing that would come to mind is you've mentioned all of the, I guess, issues, potential issues and, and actions that are facing the tech guys. Yeah, this is a good question. Is that flowing through to the other examples you spoke about, Johnson & Johnson, Deer, Nestle, do they face the same sort of level of competition scrutiny and um, that these other guys are? Yeah, at this stage, no. Okay. And there's like the Biden administration has made a bit of noise about, you know, consolidation in airline travel being bad for airline passengers and stuff like that. But the political consensus, the political will doesn't seem to be there in the same way. But one more question, I think, before we jump into some examples of how these big companies are acquiring is by just acquiring such vast amounts of companies and sitting at the top and essentially scooping up disruption to either A, just stop it beating them or B, just buy it rather than build it. Has it proven to be a good return on shareholder in capital? Well, yeah, it's a good question. So I've got some numbers yeah. from some of these big companies. Those are my two and tins. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, let's start with are these big companies actually going out and buying all their potential competitors yeah. that would previously have IPO'd and competed against them? And if we look at the tech companies, we've found a bunch of data about uh, number of acquisitions. So Google has acquired 222 companies, including 29 in the past five years. Okay. Facebook has acquired 83, including 19 in the past five years. Apple, 107 companies, 30 in the past five years. And Amazon has acquired 74 companies, including 22 in the past five years. Wow. So when we talk about this explosion of companies being acquired rather than IPOing, there's no doubt that the big tech names have been contributing to that. But if you look outside of big tech, the numbers aren't as big, but it is that it is still playing out. So John Deere, Deere & Co, yeah. dominate like the agricultural equipment space. They've acquired 22 companies, including 12 in the past 5 years. If we look at food and consumer staples, Nestle has acquired 20 companies including seven in the past five years. Pepsi, 26 companies, including eight in the past five years. Johnson & Johnson, uh, so if we go to healthcare, Johnson & Johnson, 42 companies. Uh, Pfizer, 42 companies as well. There's a lot of acquisitions happening in the space. Mm. Um, and so then you say, well, these companies are big, massive market caps, $100 billion market caps. Sure, you know, the stereotype of them is they should be slow growing. John Deere, 119 billion dollar market cap up 
dropped 252% over the past five years. And just to put that into perspective, um, I think the S&P over the last five years is 85%. Oh, that's a good start. I didn't yeah. That. yeah. So that is a tick in terms of outperformance. So definitely you could say that that strategy has worked for those guys. What else though? Well, now some of these other numbers are going to look less impressive in comparison. But I think the call out is the S&P has been driven by those big tech names as well. Yeah. But Nestle, uh, $339 billion US market cap, up 50% in the past five years. PepsiCo, $220 billion market cap, up 43% in the past five years. Johnson & Johnson, $463 billion market cap, up 38% in the past five years. Pfizer, $294 billion market cap, up 61% in the past five years. These are massive companies, but they're still growing at you know meaningful numbers. Yeah. So a couple of other questions that I'm just thinking through at the moment. It's pretty common knowledge that particularly with Facebook and Amazon as well, a lot of these acquisitions are competitive in nature and the businesses just shut down. Yeah. They, they shut the businesses down. Is, is the same playing out with these big guys that you've mentioned here, DR, Johnson & Johnson, are they acquisitions for competitive nature or is it we want to build these parts of the business and it's easier to go and buy these? I don't, Do you know I, what I mean? No, but e- either way it's like if they're destroying the competitors, then True, yeah. they're not competitors anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are some pretty crazy stats around that. Well, the big five tech companies, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, killed approximately half of all apps they bought between 2015 and 2019. As a shareholder, do you see that? I guess, yeah, it's it's 50-50. It's like spend all this money to buy these guys to kill them, which I guess the flow-on effect is that they're no longer competitors and you mm. can continue to dominate the market further. But it's like, yeah, you're spending all this cash just to kill a business. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, look, this is this is obviously just a thought bubble at this point, but yeah, I, like guess, I guess the, like, the concluding thought bubble on this all is tr- the traditional way of thinking about big companies is they're slow growing and you kind of steer clear from the, the biggest of big because they've got a target on their back and everyone is trying to disrupt them and if you buy the top of the index normally – in 10 years, they're not going to be the top of the index anymore because, you know, technology changes, but more importantly, they get disrupted. You know, in our lifetime, the if we look at tech, the IBMs, the Oracles, the, you know, like the, the real hardware-focused tech companies got disrupted by a generation of software-focused companies. And a lot of these large-cap companies in other spaces you would look at and say, you know, John Deere makes tractors and they're always going to make tractors and they'll grow at 3% a year and pay a nice dividend and that's sort of the long and the short of it. But it feels like at this point in time, if you find the right company, it feels like the the way the market is structured, the amount of acquisitions that are allowed to take place because, I don't know, that regulators aren't stopping mergers and acquisitions, yeah. that they, can, they have longer runways and that they're you know, this, the market caps can get bigger because they can just acquire their way out of any competition. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's like a – it's quite a defensive sort of – I wouldn't say safe investment, but like – It's also – let's be clear. It's also terrible for the economy. Of course. Like yeah. we're yeah. not saying this from a policy perspective. This no. is good. And my argument as well w- would have been coming into this 
uh, why wouldn't you just try and choose the up and coming uh, companies to to get in on them? But it's obviously clear that they're not even getting to the IPO. They're point, not getting so to you the, can't, yeah, you yeah. can't get in on yeah. them. These guys are scooping them up before they even go public. Yeah, it's definitely bad for the economy and for investors that no, there's less choice in the market because these companies aren't IPOing. Mm. But who it is good for is these giant mega cap companies that just can bolt on competitors whatever they want yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah look that's it's just a thought bubble at this point do you have some examples of some acquisitions that some of the big guys have done yeah well let's talk about john deere because this is really where the thought bubble started for me um thinking about john deere thinking about how much market share they have so for context in large farm tractors 53 percent market share in combine a harvesters 60 percent market share the next biggest competitor is in like the 30 percent range and then it's a tail after that wow. but they were growing so quickly and you, you wonder what's going on there and so that that's really where this thought bubble started and it's it's because there's all this really exciting stuff happening in like the farm equipment space the internet of things the amount of sensors that are being rolled out into mm. farm equipment self-driving tractors there's so much exciting stuff in this space precision agriculture should just massively increase farm yields and if uh, farming efficiency but traditionally, you would think that innovation comes from new entrants in the market and that John Deere is not going to be great at internally disrupting itself. Yeah. But what you see is that they've made 22 acquisitions, 12 in the last five years, and some of the major acquisitions that they've made are these companies that were doing this stuff. Uh, 2017, they uh, acquired this company, Blue River Technologies, which is like a precision agriculture company. Um that's sort of seen as a big like was a was a big driver of a lot of this this stuff that Deere is doing now. A bunch of other um, acquisitions over the past few years, but that has sort of driven them to be on the forefront of this innovation rather yeah. than be the company that's been disrupted by this innovation. Yeah, and so that that's really where the thought bubble started. Um, yeah. So I mean, like we've got a list of all of their acquisitions, but probably not super relevant to just read the list, but. Yeah, that that's where that's where it started for me, and then it was like, all right, well, is this something that plays out in other industries? And that's sort of where my thought bubble is at the moment. Yeah, I was just thinking about the car auto industry. It doesn't really play out in the auto industry. No, there's not that those two massive giants that. And I guess the disruption's a little bit harder as well. It's not like you can just go, we have a totally different car. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean Tesla. Yeah, but the the example would be if like. GM had bought Tesla yeah. at and actually you know what sorry I think it is kind of playing out in the car industry like GM buying Cruise so like oh, Cruise yeah, yeah. was a self-driving startup went through Y Combinator GM bought it like two years into its life um, and now Cruise is on the forefront uh, Zooks a self-driving car startup Amazon bought there's a, he a heap of others but maybe it plays out a little bit yeah yeah yeah, it's fascinating. And some these Nestle and PepsiCo, like some really old companies, but yeah, fifty percent past five years for Nestle, thirty three hundred thirty nine billion market cap, and PepsiCo as well. Yeah, and you know, like Nestle, um, I mean, these consumer goods companies turn over their portfolios a little bit more, so you know they're always trying to sort of skate where the puck is going. Nestle has turned over about a fifth of its portfolio of brands since twenty seventeen. You know, going into like organic this and artisan that and a lot of like um, 
upmarket brands, um, uh, you know, like plant-based meat, and then a bunch of like health food products and, and stuff like that. Um, and they've ditched some of their slower growing lines, like some of their bottled water lines and mm. stuff like that. So that's a bit more sort of formulaic. But I guess, again, it's just like these big companies with big balance sheets with so much data, they just have first crack at all these acquisitions. Dyson vacuum sucking everyone up. So very, very <laughs> briefly, Ren, to close this out, if regulation does catch up with what's going on and if FTC or ACCC here come in and say, you know what, guys, this is getting too much, either we're going to have to break you up or you just can't do it, is that a good thing for shareholders of these big companies? What what could be the result if these companies are broken? Yeah, well, it's a good thing for the economy. Yeah. It's a bad thing for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Because it's a lot easier to sell to a big guy when you're happy with the valuation an rather IPO. than IPO and compete <laughs> with the big guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some examples of where these big companies have got too big or have voluntarily broken up and what that has done for shareholders. So PayPal and eBay split off and that increased shareholder value when AT&T broke itself up or was forced to get broken up. Don't know if that how that one worked out. But again, um, that increased shareholder value. They're two examples that Scott Galloway, um, your, your favorite professor, <laughs> uh, likes to talk about. But the one that we like to talk about is Standard Oil as well, where <laughs> they uh, the government forced it to break up into 34 companies um, in 2011, and it basically just created not 2011, sorry, 1911, <laughs> <laughs> and it created so many of the oil majors that we know today. Out of it came Chevron, Mobil, Exxon, which later remerged. Um, BP acquired a big part of uh, Standard Oil, um, a few others. But interestingly, when it was split up into 34 companies, the value of them doubled yeah. in their yeah. respective parts. There's an argument to say that if you split Alphabet up into all of its different companies, it would massively increase shareholder value. Mm. You know, YouTube alone is probably the most valuable streaming service and um, they've got an incredible cloud business and then they've got search and you know or if you split them up and let them all run independently perhaps that would increase shareholder value and so maybe it would be the same with some of these conglomerates not as easy to see i think this this thought bubble wouldn't hold though if the regulators around the world stopped the amount of mergers and acquisitions yeah. and they were like yeah. this is not being good for Chill consumers out. yeah this has led to too much consolidation we're gonna pump the brakes yeah but I guess the question is like how likely is that? Yeah, well, given what's been going on over the last five or ten years, it, the likelihood of it happening seems on the lesser side than on the side that they're just going to start clamping down. Yeah, mm. yeah. So anyway, nice. just, a, just a thought bubble, obviously not a fully formed thesis, but something that I'm interested in watching. Yeah, for sure. We'll publish this chart um, yep. on Instagram because it is pretty striking and yeah, I guess the question is like, where does that go from here? And if it keeps going in the direction it's going, like what's the investment opportunity out of that? And for me, it's like, is it just these big guys that just can cherry pick whoever they want to not compete against? Yeah. Love it. Great thought bubble. So that, uh, that does bring us to the end of today's episode. So much going on in markets. If you're not following us across socials or if you're not following any of the other podcasts in our network, Comedian V Economist, Talk Money to Me, 
you're in good company uh, or get started investing crypto curious, make sure you're following them because they're covering everything that's going on in markets as well. But look, thanks for joining us. A reminder, sign up for FinFest, equitymates.com slash FinFest. Register your interest and we'll keep you posted with all the developments that are going on there. It's going to be an amazing event. But Ren, as always, a pleasure to chat stocks. Love the thought bubble. Keep them coming. We'll, um, we'll be picking it up next week. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.